heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Well, welcome back, Growth Junkies, to our podcast. We are here again in studio, Kent Delhousay across from me, Ben Bost, and we are working our way through our new release, Mega Life, How to Live Without Fear, and uh, going day by day, 18 days in the book. You can pick it up on Amazon if you would like to follow along through it, uh, through it with us, and uh, we're just doing that for you as an added resource, some audio content to go with the book. So we're going to continue on. We're in day eight, and we're talking about a lot of things related to fear and its relationship to love, but we made a bit of a transition in the last podcast where we were talking about displacing fear, and now we're going to reach sort of what we consider to be a climax or epicenter of the book and the role that love plays in displacing fear, but what love is, and we're going to drill down significantly on it. So we're glad that you've joined us, and so we're going to just jump right into it. And I want to start with this quote at the beginning of day eight that we put in the book by Rick Warren, and it says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And I think that quote really summarizes a lot of how we think in the Institute related to love because uh, it's, it is just nonsense. Love can uh, accept people and challenge behavior ask questions, and we need to be open to that. Unfortunately, in our society and culture today, uh, people aren't very open to it, are they, Kent? No, they're not. The fact is, you know, love, um, if it doesn't actually help you grow as a person, become healthier, find balance, et cetera, et cetera, it's something else. Yeah, which includes challenge right. and difficulty sometimes. It does. So, I mean, you know, we've heard the phrase tough love, right? Tough mm-hmm. love. Parents know the word <laughs> tough. Tough love, man. But tough love is is a real idea mm-hmm. and it's based in truth. If you really love somebody, then you're going to tell them the truth. And if you love that person back, you're going to receive the truth. I think it matters how you deliver it. So I think where it goes wrong is that it's perceived as unloving when you say something truthful, but you say it really unkindly. Yeah. So as long as it's delivered in grace, truth is absolutely important for love to take its effect. And we are focused today, like if I had to give a title to this specific day in the book, I would say it's the functioning of love. When we start to peel back the layers and want to account for all the aspects uh, of love that is healthy, not just something we want to make us feel good about ourselves, but a love that works, this is where we begin discussing the concepts in the book. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that is what we'll be doing today. You get started in the book with a, kind of an interesting little tool, crossword puzzle. Yeah, I think it's one of the great things about chapter eight, Ben. There's a crossword. We should actually let people know that if you pick up this book, there's a lot of little um, Easter eggs in it. <laughs> <laughs> little things we ask you to do, and one of them, just to give you a little peek, is a crossword. Is there any Easter eggs with money in them? No. No money, but just cool Easter eggs. Yeah, things to learn. Things to learn. Things to help you sort of process. Exactly. So it begins with this cool crossword, but then we get into, as we turn the corner, into the concept of what love is and how we need to sort of 
calibrate our lives by it. Yeah, and we're doing this in light of the previous podcasts on fear, uh, many in which we referenced and we will reference again, the foundational fears that all people face. Uh, Failure and rejection, Mm -hmm. the unknown, pain, isolation, and loss of autonomy. Mm -hmm. But what we want to do now is introduce uh, concepts that tie into that when you're experiencing love in your life in significant and healthy ways, what comes in to help displace that fear. So in the area of failure and rejection, it's acceptance. Now we said acceptance can be problematic earlier in this podcast. If that's all you have and all you expect love to do for you is just accept you, it's a problem, Mm -hmm. but acceptance is a part of love. Yeah, and here's the key about acceptance. Acceptance is acceptance of the person. It's not acceptance of all their choices or all their behavior. It's the fact that you are loved and you are welcomed and nothing will ever change that. But I can disagree with you, you know, and tell you so, or think if you're doing something that's destructive, I'll tell you about it. So by acceptance, we don't mean what the, what the culture says. Acceptance means you have to accept everything that a person does or says or chooses. And make permission for it. Right. And space for it. Like we're, we're actually challenging that idea. Acceptance, though, what, the way we describe it as loving the person and making sure they feel fully accepted as a person is greater than failure and rejection. Yeah. And that's what we say in the book. Next, for the unknown, we introduce the concept of confidence coming into a person's life to help them deal with the unknown. And uh, I would reference this related to golf. As I progressed and got better and better at competing at a high level, I never fully knew what I was going to experience when I walked into those situations. But the level of confidence that I had to be able to navigate a lot of those things grew as I got better and better and developed those skills. I think it's the same here. We develop confidence in life through love relationships with others to go out and encounter what's going on in the world and begin to sense, hey, I think I could handle pretty much anything that's thrown at me. Yeah, that's part of growing as a person. Confidence is what you develop because you you gain the ability, the capacity to be able to deal with life. So confidence is not the same thing as certainty. There's a real debate between confidence and certainty. We can't be certain. Right. We don't know what tomorrow holds necessarily. But that doesn't mean you need to be imprisoned to it. If you have confidence, it means not that you know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's that you know you have the ability or capacity to deal with it when it comes. Sure. And and in golf, like for me, it was developing skills that gave me that confidence. Related to love and dealing with all of life, that confidence comes through bonding and attachment. Mm-hmm. We talked about that in an earlier podcast, how important attachment theory is and bonding is related to developing significant, healthy love relationships that build a foundation and give you confidence for dealing with all of life. Right. So confidence is greater than the unknown or what is unpredictable. Sure. Right. Next one, pain. Uh, The concept we introduce alongside pain here is comfort. Mm -hmm. Having those kinds of relationships where we can experience comfort as we face the difficulties in life. It's a Mm -hmm. great thing to have. Yeah. Comfort eases the pain. See, here's the reality. Part of the world is that the pain is real. You know, there, there are things that just are painful mm-hmm. and nothing's ever going to say they're not. The reality is to acknowledge that life is painful, but we help ourselves and others get through the pain through comfort. Right. So when you know that you have people around you to, to give you the comfort you need when you're in pain, it makes the pain a whole lot less. Yeah. So in that sense, comfort is greater than pain. And then for isolation, we, we put belonging Having a significant connection to something bigger than self, Mm -hmm. as far as community is concerned, um, 
we're followers of Jesus here at the Growth Junkies. We talk about the relationship to the kingdom of God and our faith. All of those things really help us when it comes to isolation. Yeah. When you know you belong to a community of people, that you have a place to belong, then suddenly isolation isn't scary. In fact, being alone isn't a bad thing as long as you know you have someplace to go where there's people. Mm -hmm. So finding a community is critical. And when you know you have a community, when you know you belong to something, and in our case, as Jesus followers, it's the family of God. Mm -hmm. Knowing you have a place in the family of God as a son or a daughter of God gives you a sense of belonging that actually dispels the fear of isolation. Mm -hmm. Because you're no longer all by yourself. You're part of a family. So in that sense, again, belonging is greater than isolation. And this last one's really interesting to me, loss of autonomy, which is funny, is that it's a, a foundational fear of people's to lose their autonomy. And yet our society with uh, great increasing uh, focus encourages autonomy <laughs> and individualism. How, how crazy. Imagine that. <laughs> Culture suggesting something that's actually not healthy. Yeah, suggesting something that creates more fear. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... To counter that, it's purpose. Right. Having a deep sense of meaning and purpose in your life will help with this. Yeah. It's just knowing that you're part of something, that there's like you you have a role to play. So like you have a part in this thing called life actually gives you a sense of purpose. And when you have a sense of purpose, you're not afraid of, of what could be taken away from you because you have a purpose that is inalienable. Mm -hmm. It's undeniable or it's intrinsic. So when you know that you have sort of a, in our case, God-given assignment in life, something that you've been given or told to do, a calling as we talk about it, mm -hmm. then this idea of losing autonomy almost loses its meaning. You don't lose something that's intrinsic or inherent. Mm. It's always there. Right. Nobody can steal it from you. Yeah, that's good. So in that sense, purpose is always greater than loss of autonomy. And so all these foundational fears are overcome mm -hmm. by these truths. These are really important. And so in the book, we get in each of these, and it's important to realize that even though we have these foundational fears, they all can be overcome. And these truths happen in relationship. We want to make sure that we underscore that. And, and granted, we have a certain relationship to you, our listeners, as maybe kind of a guide or coaches introducing these concepts to you. And so when you want to learn this stuff, many times you go out and you, you go, who can I learn this from? Mm -hmm. And so you've happened to find yourself here and learning from us, which we greatly appreciate. Now, you have to be careful on who you select. And we talk about a figure in this chapter that is a very interesting person out there if you've studied the Silicon Valley at all and the coaches that have influenced the leaders, uh, the Zuckerbergs of the world. There was a guy named Bill Campbell, and uh, he was uh, affectionately known as the Trillion Dollar Coach because of the amount of Silicon Valley executives that he coached in his life. Interesting thing about him, he never charged anybody. Mm. And so you go, how do you make a living and not ever charge anybody, and yet you're in one of the industries that is billions and billions of dollars flowing like water. What do you think about that, Kent? That's a bit of a bit of an interesting approach. Well, I think it's great because it sticks a finger in the eye of the man, right? It makes it, it challenges all of our assumptions that to be in Silicon Valley and to, and to hang with all the rich people means that you got to be just like them. <laughs> so the, what that does is his story sort of breaks the model. You know, it breaks the paradigm. Yeah, it does break the model. Mm -hmm. uh, it, From his perspective, there was a quote of him saying if he charged people, he couldn't say anything he wanted. 
True. But the fact that he didn't, he could say whatever he wanted to say to someone because yeah. they weren't paying him. He wasn't trying to please him. So that, that mm-hmm. from a growth standpoint is really interesting uh, because of confrontation and, and how he could introduce concepts. But here's the thing that was noticeable mm. about him in interviews that um, I think I listened to an interview with Eric Schmidt was the guy's name. And he talked about his relationship with Bill and how significant it was and the kind of relationship they exchanged, what it, what it proved in his life and what it also formed. Here's where I had the hiccup with it is they were exchanging great relationship, building up one another, kind of forming a bonded friendship and growing as individuals in the midst of producing things that at the same time, all these tech companies were growing and developing an epidemic was growing in our society and culture as well. Mm-hmm. Epidemics of anxiety, depression, right. and suicide. If we put a marker down of 2007 till now and the increase of all that, Here's where I have a conflict and a challenge. I go, so great. You're meeting with a coach who's helping you become a better person in an industry that is producing products and injecting them into our world and can be linked. I think we can say that with somewhat certainty now. A lot of the technology that has been released over the years has caused some issues for people in unhealthy ways. What I wonder is in these boardrooms and conversations was the discussion happening of is what we're doing good for the common good? Is what we're producing good for all of culture and for people? And the answer, Ben? I don't know. I would just say no, man. I mean, <laughs> the fact is we're in a crisis. I mean, this is not like even a question. Loneliness, anxiety, depression, suicide, all the things that we talk about are rampant today. They haven't gotten better. They've gotten worse, haven't they? Yeah. So as it's ascending under the coaching of all of these execs, Culture's fracturing. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I bring this up is we have to be conscious about the things we're involved in. And like you and I, we take very seriously the people that we work with and how they're showing up in their vocations and what we're passing on to them, because it's really, really important the way in which they move into their work. Are we considering the role that love plays in the things that we produce? And that's why I've brought all this up. Right. And that's 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 really what we're getting at is what is the primary role of love? And so we use this terminology that love is like a calibrator. It calibrates your life. And that suggests you need to recalibrate. Yeah. Because we're not calibrated. So like, you know, to tune up the engine requires you to put some effort into it. So it's a recognition that we are naturally untuned. We're naturally out of balance and that we need to calibrate. Love, the way that we're going to go at it is not something we're born with. Mm Mm-hmm. You're born with a capacity, but we don't practice it. And you have to learn about what love is. So therefore, you have to put effort into it and therefore calibrate your life to be better at it. Yeah, calibration you can't do unless there's something that's fixed. Exactly. You, cal- you calibrate to something. You don't tell it uh, how it's going to calibrate you. And so we make a, a comment on page 169 that to combat the crisis our culture is facing, it's going to take people who consciously choose to invest in love the kind of love that makes a real difference mm-hmm. and is not compromised by personal agendas or hijacked by passing cultural fads. Yeah, and that's the problem has been hijacked. <laughs> love is, you know, we've joked about this, but it's romantic love. Love is only with like a big heart, right? But love, as we've talked about and we'll keep talking about, is much bigger than that. It is something holistic. It's something we live our lives by. Mm-hmm. It's the way we see the world. 
So to calibrate my life to do that requires from the ground up rebuilding, right? And so how do we do it? We do it through a concept called metanoia. It's a Greek word. Metanoia. Yes. Very interesting concept. Uh, Greek word that really means to think about your thinking. Yeah. We have to first stop and go and consider how I actually think about love. Do I think about it accurately? Mm -hmm. Am I willing to be challenged in the areas where I might have a misunderstanding or don't really get it? Like you just brought up, am I willing to learn about it? It is something that I think many people think they already know. And if we were going to set out to learn about love, what are the kinds of things we would learn? (laughs) And I've mentioned this in the past on the podcast, talking about love and learning about love, that it can feel almost a bit awkward. It's like, well, where are you going to go to learn about love? Mm -hmm. And that I think is mostly because we have this weird uh, filter or shroud around love that's driven and viewed through a lens of sex. Yeah. And that creates an awkwardness and a weird feeling when we approach the terminology. Well, let me just say it right now. Just shed that right now, Mm -hmm. right here. Like get rid of it, kill it, make it go away in your life and start to view love through a different lens. One that is, as we've used terminology like this before, structural, Mm -hmm. building architecture for all of life. Yeah. That's different. So, I mean, the reality here is metanoia is all about doing what we, you know, it's a term that's popular these days is deconstruct. Mm-hmm. You have to deconstruct the old structure, which is the thinking that love is just romantic and sex. Mm-hmm. It's not. So tear that all down, get rid of it, you know, scrape the land, so to speak. Yeah. And then rebuild. Right. Reconstruct one's view of love. Love is not romance. Does it include romance? Sure it does. When that love is expressed between a husband and a wife, right? Mm-hmm. A boyfriend and a girlfriend. I, we get that. But in all the other relational contexts, it doesn't apply. So what we're talking about when it comes to love is, is a structure that relates to all relationships, not restricted just to one. So you gotta rebuild the building. So a metanoia, the word metanoia, um, actually it's in the Bible translated as repent. You know, to, to turn and, and literally scholars will tell you metanoia means to change your mind. But here's the thing. It's not just a flip of the switch. No, it's not like you just decide, oh, I'm going to do this now. No, it's metanoia. And the idea of changing is transformational. It is literally to turn around and go the other direction. So to have a metanoia experience is to stop and say, up until now, I've had a, I've had a wrong view of love. Mm hmm. I've really looked at it through one lens. So I need to turn from this view and go the other direction and build a new view. So your metanoia is what we're asking you to think about. Stopping and acknowledging I need to deconstruct my previous perspective Mm -hmm. and I need to reconstruct a new perspective of love. We all need the metanoia. Well, you might know this about me. I don't know if you do, but I get lost pretty easily. Did you know that about I me? I did know that about yeah, you. That I just can't remember. You're directionally much. challenged. I, I am very directionally challenged, uh, even with all the nice tools and resources that those tech giants have created for us. <laughs> uh, but a perfect example, I experience metanoia all the time when I'm driving. Mm-hmm. I'm driving down the road and I go, I have a thought. Hmm. I'm going the wrong way. So turn around and make a U, right? And so I change my action yep. as a result of my thinking. That's a metanoia. And I turn around and go the other way. Yeah, I mean, literally, they've, I've heard metanoia described as like getting off the freeway, doing a U-turn and going the opposite direction. Yeah, and it's important to understand the very subtle process there. 
It's to think about your thinking. Right. I'm going the wrong way. This is not the proper direction. And so as a result, I make a different decision. Yeah. And that is really important to understand related to metanoia is that yeah. you can't just change the direction. Right. There, it comes on the heels of processing thought. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not as simple as people make it sound like. I just need to tweak my view of love. I just need to add some things to it. No, you need to scrap it. You need to start all over because this is so like massively different than what we're led to believe in this culture that we have to stop and say, no, I need to change my perspective. I need to radically turn around and pursue a whole new definition of love in my life. And so we are going to do that yep. on this podca- podcast through the lens of... Mm-hmm. Addressing unconditional love. Yes. And so we, on page 176, Mm. talk about the conditions of love. And I would say that I am not, a, and don't hold it against me, any one of you out there, I am not a believer in unconditional love. I think it's something that when we try to do it, we will find ourselves frustrated because maybe it's something we're not meant to do. it's, It's arguably something we're not capable of doing. To say in reality, in human relationships, to say I unconditionally love somebody suggests that there is absolutely nothing that they can do to change our relationship. And yet my human experience says that there's always something that you can do to ruin a relationship or at least change it. Well, so maybe, who knows, for all of them out there right now, when we said that, like, wait, you don't believe in unconditional love? And you heard the screeching breaks and people (laughs) pulling off the road. They don't know what to do with themselves right now. Like, how can you disagree with unconditional love, Ben and Kent? You you owe them an explanation, Ben. Yes. Why do we not buy into this? Well, I'm not the only one who disagrees. Well, I disagree, too, when we actually... (laughs) Take uh, pull back the curtain and look at what we refer to as unconditional love. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't work. Right. Because our human relationships, there are conditions. I mean, even, you know, at weddings, even husbands and wives in the romantic realm, you make these things called vows. You know what those are? Conditions. Right. Conditions for the relationship. That's right. Conditions for the relationship. And so the idea of, you ever heard of like breaking a vow? Oh. That's breaking the condition. Mm -hmm. So we have conditions in contracts in our jobs. You sign an employment contract. There are conditions to your employment. Mm -hmm. When you have an agreement with a client and you, you make a sale, you sign a contract, a purchase agreement. Right. Guess what? There's conditions that have to be met. Sure. We, we live in a world of conditions. There's not any experiences that we really feel like we have that, aren't, that don't have conditions. So that's why a new understanding, a broader, deeper understanding of a love that transcends that mm-hmm. needs new language, doesn't and it? And it has to tell us what we can and can't do. Right. Conditions are good and healthy. Mm-hmm. They give us structure. They help us understand the terms of a relationship and mm-hmm. outline things for us in appropriate ways. When we take the stance, like a lot of culture would say, well, we just love people unconditionally. Mm-hmm. That is very ambiguous, actually creates more space for unknown and unpredictability, which can lead to anxiety Mm -hmm. and then you don't know what you're actually depending upon or what to look to. So we actually in the book suggest a different phrase than unconditional love. Next next time. We're not going (laughs) to reveal it on this episode. You have to tune in again to hear what the words are that actually are better, better than these words. Yes. And, And so 
we would say it's a, a better and more foundational concept, right? Right. So we want to demonstrate, though, as we conclude this podcast for the last few minutes, of how to think about your thinking when it comes to love, unconditional love, and the conditions or terms of love. Uh-huh. So, like I mentioned already, the concept that, well, just love them unconditionally. And people say this phrase, oh, and, yeah. and we love the idea of unconditional love. And I, that's where I want to start with this. We, we think it's a very charitable concept mm-hmm. and that we all can do it. Well, here's the only issue. The word uh, unconditional in the dictionary means without limitation. Right. This is where the problem begins. Mm-hmm. You need to think. As a person, do you possess any limitations that might keep you from loving well? Yes. My, my hand goes up in the air. Isn't it? What was that old statement? To err is human. <laughs> yeah. And the fact is, I, I'm, like, I'm only human, right? Mm-hmm. We make mistakes like that old song. There are the, the reality of the human experience is that we have shortcomings. We have, get it, limitations. Yeah. And we all have them. Mm-hmm. We encounter them all the time. And it's part of one of the issues we face for loving. Right. We are not limitless. That is the truth. And so when you think about trying to love unconditionally, you already have a built-in condition that keeps you from being able to do it. So it's important that you acknowledge that from the outset and go, well, what do I do with that? How do I then begin to approach my understanding of love if I'm going to say unconditional love is not for me? Mm -hmm. It's not something that I actually can do. And that maybe trying to do it creates more frustration for me and those who I love or right. am trying to love. Right. It miscommunicates. It, it actually sets an expectation that's not possible. Yeah. Now, I think we should say this, at least acknowledge this. We're all after the same thing. When we say unconditional love, I, the, 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 I, I get the desire. You're right. We're looking for something. We desire something that transcends the human experience, that, that transcends the limitations we're talking yes. about. What we're simply saying is there's nothing wrong with desiring that. We're simply acknowledging that this concept, this phrase doesn't capture it. Yeah. And we want a love. If it is unconditional, we want a love that can perform under that. That's right. And here's the deal. I can't. Mm -hmm. Is you might say, hey, Ben, is there anything that your kids could ever do to you or your wife that could cause you to stop loving them? Mm. Like anything so horrific, so graphic, Mm -hmm. so difficult, so challenging that you would say, yeah, my love for them is gone. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, there probably is. Yeah. I so, think it's foolhardy to, to say otherwise. I think it's dishonest to say, no, there's nothing my kids or my spouse could ever do that would ever make me question my love for them. I'm sorry. It happens. Look around you. Has anybody noticed the divorce rate in the country? <laughs> you the know, amount of adultery that goes on? Well, and this is what yeah. they'll say to you. Like, well, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. Uh-huh. Well, I think that I'm not sure that really fits. You love somebody. And by definition, we said this before, love never ends. So you don't really love them if it ends. So the question then is, when someone says, is there anything that could happen that caused me to stop loving? What you're saying is, is there anything that could happen to end my relationship with them? I think we all know, if we're honest, that there are things that people can do that can end a relationship. Right. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And that's what it means to stop loving. But I think that we're so scared to admit that because we don't want to admit like, gosh, I could stop loving somebody. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What kind of parent am I if I could ever stop loving my child? That seems horrendous. 
But in reality, there are things that break up kids and parents. Mm -hmm. I remember a number of years ago reading stories about how kids are starting to, and this is nutty, divorce their parents. Well, there's an epidemic of estrangement. There is. There's a guy named Josh Coleman who wrote a book called The Rules of Estrangement because it is such an epidemic among boomer parents and their exer kids. It's happening everywhere. So they would say, well, I've never stopped loving them. No, no, you have. If you're estranged, you have stopped loving. Mm -hmm. And it's not love. It's not really love anyway. Something else was transpiring. So let's just get honest about it. Admit the fact that we have limitations and we have conditions Mm -hmm. and there's really nothing in this world that can change that. So in our practice of metanoia here today on the podcast, we're challenging thinking, right? We're going to think about our thinking. So let's continue. Mm -hmm. This is where a little bit of the challenge gets even uh, more difficult is when we start to look at cultural definitions of love. And on page 177, we talk about it. The problem is that culture is confused about unconditional love. The unconditional love that we want, uh, culture wants, always believes us, accepts all of our flaws, and does not require us to change. It's the proverbial hallmark view of love. It's just, Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like this. If you love me, you'll accept me and allow me to do whatever I wish. This is everywhere. It might as well be in a Hallmark card. (laughs) Because I, this has been said, this has been communicated, that somehow love means you just are okay with everything I do and say. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, you're judging me if there's anything that I do or say you disagree with. Don't judge me, Kent. Don't judge me. <laughs> I, this, this is the, the, the harsh reality of living in a world that has to admit the fact that there are conditions for relationships. So what happens, Ben? If we stop doing that and we, and we say, no, it is possible to love you, but actually say it's not okay for you to do whatever you wish. Well, we're going to get there in a second. I think it's quickly we should address the dark side of that statement of, of allowing people to do whatever they wish or, or just accepting them without challenging mm-hmm. is that in reverse, it's it says, if you don't allow me to do whatever I wish then you don't accept me and thus you don't love me, you actually hate me. And we now live in a society and culture that goes, uh, if you don't fully accept me, allow me to do whatever I wish, all that stuff, you hate me, you're a bigot, Mm -hmm. they throw racial language into it, and and it's all under the frame or inside the frame of love. Yeah. And so that makes it incredibly challenging. Yeah, and in reality, it's the exact opposite of that. No, you don't love me, you hate me if you don't speak up. You hate me if you let me destroy my own life. That's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Love in, in the worldly sense that where we live requires conditions. Yes. So for us to have a relationship, if I really do love you, then I have to be honest with you about the conditions of that relationship. Right. This is what's expected for mm-hmm. us to have a relationship. That's loving you. That's caring for you. If I don't say it and if I don't enforce it, and I just let you do whatever you want to do and walk all over me and walk all over yourself, that's not love. Mm-hmm. So not. the world has a completely arse backwards, Ben. <laughs> I, I say it that way because, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. Arse is kind of the Irish way of saying it. <laughs> and we're coming up on St. Paddy's it's, Day. It's, it's arse backwards, Ben. <laughs> nice. That's a terrible accent, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, it's totally you, backwards. And you're highlighting the fact that that definition of love is Mm self-focused it's selfish and all it wants is what it wants for itself right to really access love and the way that we're talking about 
you have to shed that Mm -hmm. self-focused nature and begin to look differently toward others right and doing what's in their best interest like we've referenced before on this podcast the definition that we we use inside the institute out of a deep concern for the well-being of the other is to know want and do what's in their best interest mm-hmm. and so that is considering other people in a different way i think it's also would consider culture a different way is what i'm doing and saying in the best interest of the entire common good or is it just in my own best interest? Good there question. are many movements and agendas today mm-hmm. that aren't in the best interest of the common good. Right. They undermine all kinds of helpful and functional structures for society. But for certain groups of people who have loud voices, then it gets uh, put into an agenda and used inside culture. Yeah. And it doesn't include everybody, Yeah, which is really, really difficult. It doesn't include the interests of everybody. And so I know we're saying some challenging things here and some difficult things to hear, but if we're going to be transformed people Mm -hmm. who walk with the right conditions of love and understand our limitations, we have to talk about these things. Well, we do. We have to deconstruct. And that's what we're doing. We're basically beginning the process of tearing down the old structure. Your metanoia begins with a deconstruction. So tearing down some misinformation and some misunderstanding that we have based upon what we've been fed by the culture. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're beginning to do as we turn the corner and get, you know, dig deeper into love is before we can construct it, we have to deconstruct you know, the society's view of it. Right. So I got a question for you, Ken. Okay. Have you ever done anything that you thought when you did it was a loving action or the right thing to do and, and for another person? And then as it went on, you realized, ooh, I was... That was not right. No. I, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. Yes. I kind of had to own it. Many times over. Absolutely. I think that we misread and misjudge people all the time. And we do things that we think have good intentions. But here's the thing. Good intentions don't always result with good results. You can have good intentions and do exactly the wrong thing. So I, when, you, when you realize that your desires and the effects of those desires don't line up, that's when you wake up. And this is why the conversation we're having right now is important. That's right. Is for us to humbly state the fact that I can sometimes even in thinking that what I'm doing is right and loving and good, turns out that it wasn't the right thing to do. Right. And if we truly understood love, were people who innately knew how to do it Mm. right all the time, unconditionally, without limitation, we would never make that mistake. That's right. And we do make that mistake. Well, and I think we have regrets. I, I know there's lots of us out there that have regretted not speaking up, not saying something, mm-hmm. not communicating what we need to say. How many songs and books and poems about, I wish I'd said something while that person was alive or while I had a relationship. I wish I'd warned them they were going down that road. I wish I'd cared enough to speak up. So what we're suggesting is don't live that way. True love sets conditions is clear about expectations, mm-hmm. uh, challenges people selflessly right. for their best interests. That kind of love really changes things. The other kind of love is, is superficial and shallow. It doesn't change anything. Right. So tear down the superficial, shallow version of love and embrace a, a genuine, deep version of love that is selfless. I mean, we even say this in bold words on page 177. Loving selflessly is the only way to love genuinely. Mm. Isn't that true? It is true. That's kind of the focus of this chapter. It's it's selfless love. Selfless love 
is willing to challenge. It's willing to hold people accountable. It is willing to confront. It is willing to set standards and expectations. It is willing to acknowledge conditions. It's the ability to do the hard thing for the sake of another. And it rejects the condition of selfishness. And sometimes the condition of selfishness would say, I don't want to confront because that's going to be too hard. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to encounter those difficulties. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to have the conversation. And I think that that's why people end up estranged in our world is because they don't want to do the difficult things, have the next conversation, work through it over time. Yeah. And so the posture that we have to take as growth junkies, and this is where our metanoia finishes today in challenging our thinking, is to take the posture of humility and love. Doesn't mean you don't confront, doesn't mean you don't have hard conversations, but we need as growth junkies, if this is what we're committed to, we take this kind of posture and it's that love must be learned and developed, Mm -hmm. which means we are all students and not experts Mm -hmm. and therefore not capable of defining it ourselves or loving perfectly all the time. Mm -hmm. So here's what we want you to feel And we can all do this in unison. Take a deep breath. (sighs) Relief. Feels good. The pressure of having to love perfectly all the time and unconditionally. Mm. You can take a breather on that one. Take the position of humility. You got a lot to learn. So do I. Kent would agree with that as well. And this is what we are going to do as growth junkies. Mm -hmm. Give ourselves permission to learn and take a humble position as we grow and develop in it. Any final words on that, Kent? You know, I think the last thought is simply to sort of like nutshell it is I think a lot of times that we think that we're loving unconditionally when we're simply being selfish Mm -hmm. because we're unwilling to really love somebody. Mm -hmm. So we can hide behind the idea. I'm just loving unconditionally by letting them do whatever they want. (laughs) No, you're a coward. The reality is you're not willing to love them with this this kind of love we're trying to get to, this rebuilding kind of love, yeah. this world-changing kind of love. If you're not willing to do that, then you're being selfish. Mm. I think many times I just think we hide behind unconditional love and the terminology and this that, that kind of speak because we don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to really confront. Mm -hmm. We don't want to deal with the fallout. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to cause drama or conflict. So we simply just go with the flow and let them do whatever they want and call it unconditional love. Mm -hmm. That's selfishness. You're not willing to risk. You're not willing to try. You're not willing to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. You're being selfish. So I think this this idea that we're, we're, we're deconstructing and challenging something at a fundamental level is this thought that I'm being unconditionally loving when in reality, I'm actually being selfish. And what are you willing to pay to learn it? Right. Learning how to love well will cost you something. It's absolutely, if you're selfless, you're giving yourself away, you're looking to the benefit of others, it's going to cost you. And it will cost you in the same way learning anything will cost you. Right. In time, effort, focus, acquiring information, And I think it needs to cost us in that way Mm -hmm. to require something of us at a very high level. If love is as important as it is, and we all claim it to be, it's got to come with a cost that we're committed to paying. And so it may not come in monetary dollars, but it will come in some form. And we just need to know that. Well, I I think we all know in our bones that love costs, that there's a price to be paid. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, even for those of us who are Jesus followers, I mean, even our gospel mm. at the heart of it, Jesus dying on the cross. Well, there's a cost right. to that love. So, I mean, deep down in our bones, like we know that real love, the kind of love that we're getting at, the kind of love we want to build is very sacrificial, requires a lot from us, yeah. sometimes even our own demise. And, and I'll tell you what, hiding behind the phrase unconditional love, you're not going to fall into demise. You're not going to challenge anybody. You're not going to upset anybody. You're going to go through life and no one's ever going to change. Well, and you mentioned the cross and I go, huh, interesting. There was a limit mm. that needed to be overcome for love to be limitless and only something limitless could do it. And there was a condition too, Ben, right. sin. Yep. The condition was you had to acknowledge your sin and you had to, guess what? Metanoia. <laughs> Think about your thinking. You had to repent. So there are conditions. There are always conditions and real love is the willingness to acknowledge them yeah. and to call them and to lay them out and hold people accountable to them. That's what love is. Well, we hope you enjoyed this discussion from day eight. A uh, really important turning point in the book, days seven and eight. And if you uh, want to pick up a, po a copy of Mega Life, you can do so on Amazon. Just click a link and go and find it. And we are going to continue working through these days until we get to the end of the book. And so we hope these discussions are, are helpful to you, not only just uh, in working your way through the book, but also just contemplating these various things in life. And so we enjoy you, our listeners, and we thank you for tuning into The Growth Junkies, and we look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for listening to The Growth Junkies podcast. Go follow us on Instagram and Facebook to join the community and check out the Four Dimensions book on Amazon or through our website, loveandtransformation.org. 